Hello again. I do want to welcome you back to Bible Studies with Russ. Uh, we looked at last time, Judges chapter 4, and we could have uh, looked at five together, but five is a little bit different. It's really a, a song, if you will. We find there in verse chapter 5, verse 1, And Deborah and Barak, the son of Ebenon, sang on that day, sang. And we read there in just a moment. So we're going to read through chapter 5 and make some comments as we go through this. And then we'll try to get into at least part of chapter 6 for our time together today. So we look at chapter 5 and verse 1. Here the Bible says, Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinon, sang on that day, saying, when leaders, in Is when leaders led in Israel, when the people willingly offered themselves, bless the Lord, there in verses 1 and 2 of Judges chapter 5. We look at verse 1. This song contains many difficulties, it is written in poetic and figurative language, and must be read in a it considered it must be read and considered accordingly. This is one of the oldest pieces of poetic composition in the world. We continue reading here, going through verse 4. Hear, O kings, and give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when you when you went out from Zir, when you marched from the field of, of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured, the clouds also poured water. So a reference to the display of God's power and majesty at the time the law was given on Mount Sinai is seen here in verse 6, uh, verse 4, rather. Let's read now verses 5 going through about verse 9. Here the Bible says, The mountains also, let me move this up a little bit here. Let's make this slightly bigger, shall we? Second. Okay, verse verse five. Uh, sorry, go back to verse five here. Going through verse, uh, going through verse nine. The mountains gush before the Lord. This Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of of Jael, the highways were deserted, and the travelers walked among the byways. Village life ceased, and, it, and it, it ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. Going now through verses 8 and 9. They chose new gods. Then there was war in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. We find in verse 6, the highways are unoccupied. It was not safe to travel anywhere. Verse 7, we find the villages ceased, that is, small villages were no longer safe, and the people had to live together in fortified places. Verse 8 references how, how the Israelites forsook the one true and living God and adopted the false gods of the heathen nations. This was a cause of all their trouble. Looking now at verses 10 and 11 here. It says, Speak, you who ride on white donkeys, who sit in judges' attire. Who walk along the road, far from the noise of the archers among the watering places. There they shall recount the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts for his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord shall go down to the gates. So all the people, kings and rulers, people walking from place to place, and those gathering at the watering places were to praise God because of the works of Deborah. The works that were going to be, and those works, of course, being done because of the Lord. Going now, verses 12 through verse uh, verse 14. It says, Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, sing a song. 
Arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Abinon. Then the survivors came down and the people against the nobles. The Lord came down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim were those uh, were those whose roots were in, in Amalek, Amalek. After you, Benjamin, with your peoples from uh, from Machir, rulers came down, and from Zebulun, those who bear the, the, the recruiter's staff. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, as Issachar so was Barak, rather, sent into the valley under his command. Among the divisions of Reuben, there were great resolves of heart. And so we find here, as we read through verse 15, that in verse 14, as, as it's pointed out, out of Ephraim and Benjamin came great warriors. Joshua was, was, one of, was of the tribe of Ephraim. Ehud was of the tribe of Benjamin. Deborah chose to sing the praises of these people. Verse 15, the princes of Ezekar, well, Deborah named others who came forth to fight. Barak sent his foot soldiers into the valley. All of the people joined in fighting for their land. Now we read through verse 19. Why did you sit among the, the sheepfolds to hear the pipings for the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have great, searchers, have great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And why did Dan remain on ships? Asher continued at the seashore and stayed, stayed in his inlets. Verse 18, Zebulun is a people who jeopardized their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield. The kings came and fought, and the kings of Canaan fought. And Tanak, by the waters of, of Medigo, they took no spoils of silver. So going through verse 19, we find that Deborah named others who came forth to fight. She condemned those, though, who refused to do their part. Looking now at verse 20, it says here in verse 20, They fought from the heavens. The stars from their courses fought against uh, Caesarea. Even the angels of God and the stars in their orbits fought against Caesarea. And now we said before this is figurative, right? That is basically the idea is being put forth here that seemingly everyone was fighting for them. Verse 21, The torrent of Kishon swept them away. The That ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon, O my soul, march on in strength. The rivers of Kishon swept them away. Well, it, it, it seems a storm or flood assisted the Lord's people. And of course, the Lord could have been behind that, right? Verse 22, and we know, remember this back from chapter 4, uh, referencing the storm and the swelling, right? Look at verse 22. Then the horses' hooves pounded, the galloping, the galloping of his steeds. Syria had chariots of iron, but horse, his horses were not shot, and their hoofs were broken by the rough stone, stone roads. They became lame and useless from a military viewpoint. How sad that is, isn't it? Verses 23 through verse 27. It's after the horses, that is. 23 through 27. We found the attitude uh, here of, of, of Meroz and Jael, how they are how they are compared. Verse 23, curse Meroz, said the angel of the Lord, curse its inhabitants bitterly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to help the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber, the, the Kenite. Blessed is she among women in tents. Uh, also, he also, excuse me, let me back up here. He asked for, for water. She gave milk. She brought out cream in a, in a lordly bowl there in verse 25. She stretched her hand. Uh, she stretched her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer. And she pounded Caesarea. She pierced his head. She split and struck through his temple. At her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. 
At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. Well, it's pretty clear, isn't it? Uh, Muraz, whose location is unknown, refused to help uh, while JL helped stamp out the forces of opposing uh, the forces opposing Israel. And we find this in detail here about this man, the temp, the uh, spike being driven through his head, and it's mentioned there very clearly. Verse 28 through uh, the end of the chapter there, the Bible says, The mother Caesarea looked through the window and cried out through the lattice, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarries the clatter of his chariots? Her, wise ladies, her wisest ladies answered her, Yes, she answered herself. Are they not finding and inviting the spoil to every man, a girl or two? For, for uh, Caesarea plundered of dyed garments, plundered of plundered uh, plunder of garments embroidered and dyed, two pieces dyed embroidery for the neck of, of the looter. Thus, let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be be, be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. So the land had rest for 40 years. So, the question is asked back in verse 28, why is it taking so long? Well, his mother did not know that he had died in war and cried for his and cried for his return. Mothers whose sons are, are who are at war have in, have in every have in every generation cried for their return. The rude bridge that arched the flood near Concord, Massachusetts, not only a memorial to the embattled farmers who fired the shot heard around the world, but a grim reminder of mothers in a far-off land who mourned because they did not know the fate of their sons. War is always cruel, unjust, and inhuman. It has no sadder aspect than, than broken-hearted mothers who brought their sons into the, the world that they might contribute to the welfare of mankind, only to see them cut down in war. It is a, it is a tra tragedy that, through the centuries, governments of the world have not been able to solve the problems of war. Well, we find here war, no doubt, is is needed at times. It doesn't make it any less sad, does it? And we find here that what is happening, they are having war against the against evil. And the Lord is actually, as Bible tells us here, is actually pictured as fighting with them. Now, as we get over to chapter 6, as we get over to chapter 6, we... Uh, Find here a man that's mentioned as we're going to find here next. A new deliverer is going to be brought in, right? In chapter six. And we know him by the name of Gideon. We'll get to him, if not this week, the next. But let's look at chapter six and verse one. What do we find? Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Again and again and again, right? No wonder this book is described as a roller coaster of faithfulness and unfaithfulness. The Bible says in verse 1, so The Lord delivered them to the hand of Midian for seven years, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, because the Midianites, the children of Israel, made for themselves uh, made for themselves the, the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. And so because of the Midianites, the children of Israel are what? They're living in where? In the dens, in the caves, in the strongholds, the mountains. And we find in verse 3, So it was whenever Israel had sown, whenever they had, you know, gain some some things because of their hard work what happens verse three the Bible says the Mennonites would come up also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them and they wouldn't camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel neither sheep nor ox nor donkey so they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming up coming in as numerous as locusts both they and their camels were without number and they would enter the land to destroy it 
So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Mennonites, and the children of Israel cried out to, to the Lord. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Mennonites, verse 7, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from, from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. You think about this, why does God keep reminding them what he's done for them? Because their actions seem to show they've forgotten it, and, or even worse, they simply no longer care. Verse 9, he says, And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, now the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you, and gave you, gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. There it is in verse 10, isn't it? There's that big determining factor. They have not obeyed his voice. He told them not to fear. He told them and reminded them rather how he has brought them out of Egypt. He has brought them out of the house of bondage because that's what they were in Egypt. They were, they were bond, you know, they were servants. They were slaves. We find in verse nine, he reminds them how he drove out, uh, delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians and also out of the hand of all who oppressed you. And he says, and drove them out before you and gave you their land. He's in all these things for you. In verse 10, he says, And also said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the God of the Amorites. So he reminds them what he has done, and he reminds them of how uh, he's told them not to fear others. But what have they done in return? Verse 10, But you have not obeyed my voice. That's all it takes, isn't it? Disobedience comes with a price. Disobedience also requires not only confession, it requires a change. It requires repentance. And so we're going to find here, as we, as we found already in Judges, that these individuals not only would, would at various times admit they're wrong, but they'd also have to do what? They'd also have to, in every circumstance, repent. And they would, and they'd remain faithful for a time. And then what happened? Well, they would again do evil in the sight of the Lord. Let's look now at verse 11. Here the Bible says, And the angel of the Lord came and sat, sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the, the Abzerite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in a winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. This really helps paint the picture of just how bad everything was, doesn't it? How what happens there? They're, they're, they are uh, pressing, uh, threshing wheat in a winepress, rather, to hide it from the Midianites. Why? Because if they see the wheat, they're going to come in and take it, and they may even kill people while they're there. And so what they do, they're, they're threshing wheat in the wine press, which you would not, obviously you would not normally do. Uh, but that shows you how, you know, how bad they have it at the time. But again, why is that? Because they have not obeyed the voice of the Lord back in verse 10. Verse 12 says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, who is it that um, we find here, verse 11, what happens? The angel of the Lord has come and sat under the terebinth tree. Verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. In verse 13, how we know exactly who he's talking to? Well, first of all, Gideon's the one there in verse 11. And verse 13, he's the one who also he replies. In ver he, he's the one who replies, right? Oh, Lord, he says, he says, oh, my Lord. Let me move this up a little bit here. He says here, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which are which our fathers told us about, saying, Do not do not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us in the hands of the Midianites. You know, he says what he says here 
and I actually have a sermon called just that. Where are all his miracles? Um, because that's how people feel sometimes, right? When things get bad, we start looking around and saying, well, where's the Lord? Where is the Lord? Well, we go back verse 10. This hasn't what he says in verse 13 does not change what, what, what the Lord says in verse 10, that they had done what they had disobeyed God. That's why these things were happening. Yes, we're going to endure hardship because people persecute Christians. Yes, we're going to endure hardship because some people are, make stupid decisions. We have to bear the consequences of other people's actions. But we also have to realize that sometimes sin brings a punishment from God, especially in the book of Judges. We find it very, very clearly, don't we? Um, now, what's interesting is in the book of Job, Job argues against that idea, the idea that just because someone's going through a hard time means he has sinned, because that is not the case. That's why I said that sometimes we are persecuted because people do not like Christians. Sometimes we have to deal with the consequences of other people's actions because they make poor choices. That doesn't mean that we have done anything wrong. And we find in Job that Job was what? He was actually being tested. He did not know that. What's interesting about Job, the Lord gives some of the best compliments about a person he could possibly make, but Job never hears them, does he? But we find there in chapter here in chapter 6 and verse 13, when Gideon saying this, we have to remember in this context, what was happening? Well, let's go back to verse 10. What does it say? But you have not obeyed my voice. There it is. Now, what's happening now? He's going to bring up Gideon's going to be the, the deliverer, isn't he? We find there in verse, um, uh, in verse 12, and the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor, right? Uh, Gideon's reply, well, where are his miracles? Where's all the, you know, we're, we're, we don't, we're all the stuff we've heard about, we don't see it right now is what he's saying, right? In verse 13. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, verse 14, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So, verse 15, So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save my Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. You know, sometimes when we have, when we realize there's something we need to do for, for the Lord or for the church, we one of the first reactions may be of ours is that I can't do this. I am incapable of doing this. Uh, I am, you know, slow of speech and slow of tongue, as one of the most famous writers in the Bible is recorded as saying. Uh, Gideon says here in verses uh, 15, Lord, how can I save Israel? Well, keep in mind, who is it that's going to save Israel? It's actually going to be the Lord, isn't it? Look at verse 16. This is how he's going to do it. The Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. I will be with you. I picture Midian or getting here almost like an old school, Old Testament Rambo. He's going to do it, and he says, as one man. Why? Look at verse 16 again. Surely I, being the Lord, will be with you. There is the difference. The Lord will be with him. Look at verse 17. Then he said to him, let me get this up. Then he said to him, if, I, if, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that, that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. Now, we're going to stop there. When we come back next week, I do want to, we will talk about this, obviously. But I want to save that for next week uh, and come back and look at this sign and then some, some of the acts of Gideon following this. So we're going to stop there today with chapter 5 and getting here through chapter 6. 
picking up next week in verse in chapter six and verse seventeen. I do thank you for being here with me today on Bible studies with Russ. Hope you found it encouraging and hope to see you again next time.